Dialogue Podcast Network. And thank you. Thank you, Molly. Welcome. Thank you. What a beautiful prayer. What a thoughtful prayer. Hey, we'll just switch a little bit of tech stuff. Chris, okay, you're the host now. Oh, am, I, am I running it now? Yep, you're now the host. Um, we're still live on Facebook, so we might want to take that off before we continue. Stop there. Okay. And did, did we stop and start a recording? I didn't yeah. hear. Yep, yep, Michael did So we're, we're in a new recording. Yep, um, good. For, for people who were with us a couple of weeks ago, um, I half apologize and mostly explain. We had to, with our schedule this year, when we start at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, we are finding more people than ever before who are teaching or participating in one way or another who have a 10 o'clock meeting. And so they're going to be up, there are going to be times when we, when we just have to finish at 10 o'clock. And, uh, and I'm sorry for that, we apologize for that. We'll just work with it as we can. And whenever we have a chance, like we do today to continue the chat, we'll, we'll do that. Um, it I, looks like Dalton had to hop off. I think that he had oh, to okay. ask him, oh, too bad, okay. <laughs> I think he had to run off actually and teach because it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. Sabbath, right? In Israel, yeah. it is a working day for him, yeah. Oh. All right. Well, we'll miss him, but uh, I want to go back. Um, just there was a comment from the chat kind of early in your lesson when you were asking about um, kind of how we'll be comforted when, by, he, by whom. Uh, and there's just a comment, uh, you know, which we've also kind of brought out already, this idea of community being a big element of how and by whom we are comforting, comforted. Um, and he also says morning is not a one-time or short-term event. So when needs to be whenever the morning resurfaces for the mourner. Mm -hmm. um, I like those thoughts. And I, and I was thinking um, to this idea of community. Um, my husband and I were talking last night as we're preparing for this, for our primary lesson later today. <laughs> Uh, and, and thinking about like baptism and water and, um, and I was reflecting on kind of what baptism is kind of this moment, this kind of famous moment of baptism of the waters of Mormon. There's like, it's, and it's such a community event, right? That there's so many people who are gathered and witnessing and, um, and it's outside in the natural world and, and kind of, um, uh, this idea and, and thinking about Christ being baptized in the river Jordan and, um, and that putting him kind of going down into the depths of kind of the natural world, right. And being, you know, part of this flow, this stream of larger creation. <laughs> and I think there's something really important um, with that as we think about um, these baptismal covenants and mourning and being a witness. Um, right. Right. From my own experience, this is what complicated our own story of grief is that the very week that we lost our son, uh, we were moving from country to country. So we were leaving a community that knew us, 
yeah. and had to forge a new community. And that ended up being rather problematic. I didn't anticipate it as being problematic because I'm an independent gal. How many times that I done this? I can make new friends. I can figure things out. But to not have someone who knows the entirety of one's narrative, mm. it puts one in a very vulnerable situation. And you're already vulnerable when you've experienced a major loss. So um, I, I learned, and it really was a, a buffeting of my pride. I had to learn that I needed people, like I needed oxygen. I ached for people. And um, I think this is why we are called, why we pass the sacrament to one another, why we stand as witnesses at these ordinances. We're witnessing with one another. We're there to remind one another maybe what we promised and who we are. And, and we need to show up for one another. We need to show up. Um, and again, get, get close, get close to one another, get close to people that we otherwise wouldn't necessarily choose to get close to. That's one of the great things of, I think the scaffolding of our religion is that you don't just pick your favorite pastor and your favorite, you know, congregants, you're, you're thrown, thrown together and, and learn from one another. I could go on and on on that, but um, yeah the the value of coming together the come be one the communion is a great charge and it's a huge challenge huge challenge um, <laughs> greatest blessing i i'd like to i might tear up here i might um just relate to that comment that, that rebecca read that got you Talking about that challenge, Melissa, that um, that comments from my brother, whose wife died during the COVID period, and the idea of being together um, really had a, a a hard hard time, hard edge to it. Um, that um, and so the 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 I, uh, I stopped there, but the, the meaning of community and the meaning of being with in the morning or in the weeping is uh, um, took a took a turn took a uh, as you just described Melissa when your when your community is torn apart in for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. There's something to, well actively imagining the sorrow of someone else is a divine, divinely inspired act, I think. I think the spirit helps us to enter into the grief of other people. And so we're, that might be a visiting church member ringing at the doorbell. Um, the, the opportunities that are nascent in, in grief, as odd as that might sound, are, life-altering they're life-altering i can only speak from my own experience of working so closely with refugees whose losses outnumber and out outsize my one loss of my one child uh and 
we discover things about our own humanity that is essential. There's something sacred that transpires between people when they're able to find that common ground of, of, of being reduced and, um, and what really is valuable for us. I don't know whether I'm making much, much sense about that, but I think immediately of my experiences sitting with Afghans and Syrians and Iraqis and people from many countries th throughout Africa who fled for also for different reasons. Um, and now these incredible Ukrainian sisters and brothers that I've met. Um, that we we truly do bond on our our broken edges, and there's something sacred that happens there. Um, how how vicious loss must feel for those who don't have love, who don't have a loving someone to stand with them. How how utterly vicious. Um, so yeah, and I think we've learned a lot of, about that during COVID, haven't we? How being isolated is not always the best thing for a long period of time. Uh, Melissa, I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit or, or, or yeah, challenge. Okay, we'll take it that do way. Do it, do it. You've, you've connected for us mourning and peacemaking out of the Beatitudes. And it's thought-provoking. It's wonderfully thought-provoking. But here's the push. It seems to me that they operate on a different time frame. That is, mourning with or weeping with. I, I like weeping with as a way to read that scripture. Um, it seems to be right now. Um, but when I go to peacemaking, um, no, as Dalton was talking about the the Palestinian man murdering someone, I if I think right now, I just want it to stop. But but peacemaking seems when you think about that 1936 quote, when you think about World War II, when I mean peacemaking feels like a a multi-century project. Mm -hmm. And that and and that and so putting them side by side. I mean, they caused me to have those thoughts, but what, let me put that well, back. Okay, let me, let me then reduce it. I'll distill it then. What happens when my Shiite and my Sunni refugee friends sit next to one another in a, in a high school gym that's been refurbished to house 175 refugees? It's called an Erste Aufnahme Einrichtung. It's like the first reception center they, they're still wearing their flip-flops and their torn jeans from having walked from their native countries across the Middle East and they've arrived in Germany. They're still wearing the same rubber flip-flops and the same torn jeans. And the Sunni and the Shiite are sitting next to one another in this same high school gym. And I'm teaching them German. And I'm stupid. I'm, I'm the privileged blonde Western woman who's going to teach them German, but I'm noticing that they're, that they're repositioning themselves because the Sunni and the Shiites wouldn't otherwise be sitting next to one another, right? There are centuries of tension and violence between those two, those two groups. It's when that one man and that one man are forced to sit in proximity with one another and they are sharing the same loss. 
these the Shiiteness and the Sunniness somehow be they they sort of get burned off. They are less important. It's not that they aren't important, but they recognize that they are both fragile, powerless, and they need one another. So the connection that I see is that the global peacemaking that you're talking about, this political peacemaking that might take centuries and it might not ever see its resolution on during the life of this earth, that that will not happen until these two men are sitting next to a bench, next to one another, and they're mourning their losses together. They're mourning their losses together. And they see that we are really not so different from one another. Um, we share a common humanity, we share a common fate, and this other thing that has riven our culture for as long as we have known it, this inherited antipathy is less important than finding unity with one another. I've, I've observed it happening. So, I don't know whether that answers your question completely. I tend to answer simple questions with novels, but um, let me add one more point. Mourning, and your brother will attest to this, mourning is also protracted. I still mourn, years later, I still mourn the death of my son. It will come like a wave that knocks me flat out of nowhere sometimes. So conventional comfort always, always dies out before the morning does. The morning, Anna Quinlan, wonderful American essayist said, it's loss, it's loss that we aren't prepared for it. The, the grief, the morning might be, we might think that it's a short-term one-off experience. But the loss, this absence goes on forever. And so our attempt to get close to someone else's heartbreak and stand witness to it and be patient with it has to extend infinitely, infinitely. So I, I just reflect back. What, what, you, what you brought to my mind by bringing these two together, the mourning and the peacemaking, is that they call from me the same kind of feelings, the same kind of motivation, the same kind of thoughts. And then what I'm pushing back to you and you've just beautifully answered is that when we then exercise on that desire to mourn with those that mourn, um, to make peace, that it requires some, um, thoughtful, intelligent application. Some of it is right now. Some of it is seven years from now. I, I'm thinking of some losses that I can relate back seven years. It just kind of came to mind. And some of it is, um, what will my grandchildren be able to do? I mean, they're, they're, all of those time frames are relevant. And but it but it's calling from me the same kind of desire. And that that that's why I love you putting them together. Um, and then I'm coming back with, and you are replying with the, the, the smarts about it, the intelligence about how and when you act. Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes I appreciate, appreciate what you've said. Yeah, being thoughtful. Sometimes our thoughtfulness 
And sometimes our intelligence can act as a, uh, sometimes, I'm not accusing anybody of this, but I've observed it happening. Sometimes we want to make the most thoughtful response and we want to give the most intelligent response to someone else's, yeah. someone else's loss, grief, the heaving, the ranting, the railing, the key, healing, whatever it is. And sometimes it will stop us short of just spluttering and bumbling our way throughs and saying, saying, I don't. I think I'm a pretty smart person, but I don't have the vocabulary to respond to this. I don't have anything clever to offer. I want to be thoughtful, but actually I'm just speechless. I remember, actually it's someone who reminds me so much of you, Chris, just one of our dearest, dearest friends, brilliant doctor, brilliant physician, um, I saw him at our son's funeral over by a tree by himself. He looked a lot like you two, kind of rough hewn and these bright, intense eyes. And he broke into a sob. He could hardly speak, but he broke into the sob. And that for me was so comforting because I recognized he can't find words and neither can I. There's going to be no intellectual, there's going to be no sufficient intellectual answer for this. Uh, but the fact that he feels it, and I know that you're that kind of person, it's one of the things I really enjoy about you. The fact that he feels it and that he's willing to expose that feeling is incredibly powerful to me. Um, and then on top of it, he did this wonderful thing. He, he erected a memorial at the site of the accident. So he did do something that was active, concrete, thoughtful, no one else had thought of it. But he also was uh, stripped raw of any other intellectual defenses. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Yeah, and I, uh, and yeah, I relate that to the, uh, what I was, what I, in my own mind, to, weeping with those that mourn that is uh, the weeping the grief that doesn't have words and doesn't mean i supposed to fix it or answer or tell you what to do just just weeping just feeling and sitting um rebecca i know you had something to say there Randall yeah, I just coming in with these beautiful comments and i i, I wondered should we should we just oh, bring husband. him up so he can talk I, I have a yeah. spouse. He's on the other side of the earth, but if he's there, speak. speak. Yeah, well, let, Chris, you have the power. Let's bring him on. Um, no, uh, I, have to, and I have to. I have to, find to figure it. that out. Yeah, the raise your here. Allow to talk. There we go. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, that that fits too, and um, you know, I'm relating this part of the conversation to what Dalton said about you know what we think our role is. Um, oh, yeah. And then, you know, the Beatitudes really telling us, reminding us what really the role is um, yeah. to mourn, to comfort. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't, you know, we think that it's got to be this other kind of response. Um, but it's just. Right. It's, yeah, a, it's, a, it, the, I think of that presence. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's that presence. It's with presence. Us here. <laughs> Randall. Hello. Hey. Well, I, well, it's good to see you. Hello. I've been listening. I've been listening to the whole thing. 
Okay, share. No, I, I put a comment in there. Did you see it for you? I, I didn't. Randall, that's why we promoted you to panelists, so that you can. I like that. I've been promoted. I really like that language. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it comes with a salary increase. Yeah. Um, no, I was just, I was, sorry, I was listening to your question about peace as peacemaking as longer term, whereas mourning feels really short term, like immediate. And uh, I was sharing with there in the comment something that happened to me when I was traveling in Israel a decade ago. And um, the night before I was going to go on a day trip with a guide, an Israeli guide, there was another horrible attack, a really horrible attack, and a family was was murdered. And and I asked my guide the next morning, I asked him a question. I was thinking of this line from the spirit of God, like a fire is burning, where it says the lion and the lamb will lie down together. So I asked him this question. I said, can you imagine, Gilles, the day when the lion and the lamb will lie down together in Israel. And he thought for a minute, kind of stroked his chin. And then he said to me, I do, I can see it. And then he slammed his fist on the table and said, but we will be the lion. <laughs> and I was thinking about this notion of, yeah, peace, but only if we are in charge or only if we have the upper hand. And I think that peacemaking even longer term probably starts way deep in the heart about, in terms of what you want, what is the outcome that you're looking for? Um, that wonderful line that we hear in the temple, what is wanted? And I think, so that's one of the things that guided Melissa and I think me in terms of our own um, peacemaking and our own mourning was trying to understand the outcome that somebody needs. Like you said it, Melissa, a minute ago, you said show up, but what was it you said one person said, yeah, show someone once said, just show up, but shut up. Just show up, but shut up. You don't have to, you know, expound. You don't, certainly don't need to bring some refrigerator magnet quote. Just show up and then shut up. Primarily, I would add, to listen, because we have so much to learn from those who are mourning. They, they are experiencing things that are at the very bottom of the human experience. They're being carved deeper than those who don't experience great loss. So um, as one of, again, William Sloan Coffin, one of our favorite preacher says, he says, we aren't naturally profound. We have to be forced down. And that's what happens with people um, who, not, not that I'm claiming to be profound, but I do recognize that my basement, I got a double or a triple basement um, of, of feeling from this experience. So we, we can learn things, I think, from one another just by listening to those who are in the throes of grief. Um, I'd like to add a little bit. Um, I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum of you, um, Melissa and Randall. I lost my dad when I was a young adult. I'm and so sorry. No, it's okay. I, I don't cry a lot about it, but you know, it's tender still. Sure. But um, I think one of the lessons that I learned, I, I have uh, my most vivid memory from his funeral was not knowing how I was supposed to act. And, and, and I felt like there was some expectation of how I was supposed to be acting or feeling or the emotions I was supposed to be showing. And I was uh, at a complete loss and I felt so exposed. 
but but something that I've I've learned since then is that there's not a right way to grieve. And and that something that we can do as witnesses is allow people the space to grieve in in their own way and, and in their own time. Mm -hmm. But conversely, um being with friends who have had other traumatic losses, I've also learned that there's not always a right right way to witness either. Right. Certainly there are better, there are definitely good better practices, right? Certainly. Practices. Certainly. But but there's also just uh showing up even if it's awkward and even if you just sit there for a long time or just you know text them i love you or the it, it's startling how big of a difference that can make to people oh i i i can say yes 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 to everything that you've said because grief well a major loss major loss is in and of itself isolating you feel isolated <laughs> Suddenly it pulls one out of normal beingness. You feel suddenly the widows of the 9-11 first responders formed a group and they said, we had to have each other because we all spoke Martian. We all were from another planet, you know? And I, maybe anybody on this, that's in this group right now, if you think of your own loss, you remember the experience of being somehow extracted from the normal way of being normal life and not able to connect with people around that sense of isolation is 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 softened when someone just like you said molly is just there they don't need to do anything and if they need to leave then they leave they get the cue now is time to go we don't need to ambush these people but also for me getting just a little text and i received so many from the most sensitive friends that said, I'm, I'm still thinking about you because you want your loss to be, back to Rebecca's comment, experienced in a community. The whole community is changed because of this thing that has shot through you. And that itself is comforting. It's why we need to stand next to one another and for one another. Um, and, and, Remember, and there are some cultures that are older than LDS culture that have long-standing rituals that surround grieving. We haven't quite figured it. We have funeral potatoes. We got that one. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the funeral potatoes, but there are other cultures that have known that this is going to touch every human being's life. Let's figure this out. We need time. We need to sit Shiva. We need to do these different you know rituals rituals that will not only bless the grieving but that will bind us together as a community our Botswanan friend told us that when her father died they laid him out on a table in the kitchen and then put the table behind a transparent curtain and then for a week the neighboring villagers came and walked through the house and what did they do what why did they come what what purpose did they serve? They were there to witness that this life had been of value to that they knew this life, that he was part of their story. And they went to the widow and they asked the widow to recount the story of his death so that the story of the death 
became part of their own narrative and she had shared it and processed it then how many times you know dozens and dozens of people hearing that story so there are other cultures that might understand how to do it a little bit better than we do but we're learning we're learning and you're right molly there are things that we should know are probably not the best thing to do i just mentioned william sloan coffin saying do not preach to me and say this was the will of God. We never know enough to say that. And never when we're talking about death or major other major losses, do we use the words, well, just, hmm. right? It's a minimizing word. Well, Melissa, you mentioned sitting Shiva uh, and Linda. I mean, there's a couple of comments actually referring to that. I had a very simple learning uh when a when a law firm partner a good friend of mine died and the family was jewish and we and they were sitting shiva for seven days and i visited and in that when you're visiting not the family but when you're visiting that's an hour or two i mean an hour is sort of the polite amount of time but an hour made me realize just that every memorial service every funeral i every every sort of you know somebody died kind of scene i had been to in a in a in a different context i was looking for the one line now i'm going to greet the person the the surviving spouse the brother whoever it is and i'm looking for the one nice line to say but when it's an hour you can't do one line you have to tell stories you have to listen you have to, i mean it just just that one simple shift from i'm looking for the one right sentence to i am here just here i'm just here to be with you that shift from one sentence to an hour made a big difference powerful yeah, it's, it's again, the opposite. It, it, there's the grief and then there are the spectators or there are the, the, the people who stand as spectators and then there are the grief, the grieving and those who stand as witnesses. Witness, the word witness comes from the old English, vit to know. You, you know the stories, you know what's going on. If you're standing as a witness for God, you're trying to stand in, I suppose, as that compassionate presence as Christ himself would, would be. Um, but it's about the other person. It's not, it's not self-reflective. Reflect, it's not about how am I going to say the right thing? It's what, what can I learn from this situation? How can I be of support for the other, for the grieving person? Major difference. Yeah, am I, as Dalton says, learning, you know, is my focus on learning the language of the people affected <laughs> rather than coming in from the outside with something that I'm going to bestow, right? Yes, that that is a, a marked difference and it's a beautiful uh, analogy that he's made to learn the language. And sometimes the language, the best, Randall would concur with this, sometimes the best language of loss is silence. Sometimes it's silence, not avoiding silence, but just a silence of reverence. And this thing is too big for this, for the pedestrian symbols of language. This is too big, but I'm going to be here. I remember 
um, the first time we went back to our home before this major loss, we went back to our home in Paris and the members of that little ward in the center of Paris, um, I'll just mention them, John and Renee Hall, had set up uh, just a gathering in their apartment and our dear friends were there, including, it occurs to me, our then stake president, who's now the presiding bishop, uh, dear friend, Gérald Cosset. We stood in silence. We stood in silence, mostly in this apartment. There wasn't a lot of talking that was going on. And I remember one um, beautiful Frenchman in pat particular, David Atenour, I was sitting on a sofa and he came and just knelt in front of me and put his hand on my knee and looked into my eyes as if to say, this is impossible what has happened. It's been 15 years since that moment. I will remember that moment until the end of my life. This person kneeling in front of me, putting his hand on, on my knee and looking stunned, bewildered, heartbroken, mm. heartbroken. It required no language whatsoever, but he was with me completely in my shock and pain. We can do that. I imagine Christ did much of that. It wouldn't have made good script in the New Testament. Christ kneels and is silent. Christ kneels and is silent. Christ is a silent presence, but I imagine that he did very much standing in silence with those who were in a realm beyond language. And I mentioned one thing, Melissa, because, um, you know, Chris would said something. I, this is a hard thing, I think, to talk about, but sometimes mourners, because mourners don't know exactly how to talk about things either. And sometimes mourners shut out would-be comforters because they they don't want to talk or they don't know how to talk about their own grief. And um, so sometimes there's things mourners can do that invite a discussion, especially if you're going to sit there for an hour, as you just said, it's hard to sit for an hour in silence. And so sometimes a mourner can open the door for that. I, re I remember Melissa knows the story, but when we, you know, we had moved to Paris, uh, to, from Paris to Munich two weeks before the accident. So we landed in a community that we didn't know at all. We didn't know anybody. And so we, we were really lonely. And I avoided every business dinner I could for a reasonable length of time until after about two or three months, it became really difficult for me to not go to anything. So I decided to go to one and it was in this um, Gasteig, this big um, lodge where all the waiters are dressing, dressed in lederhosen and they're singing um pa pa. It's in kind of an Oktoberfest atmosphere, the last place on earth that I wanted to be. And so I sat at this table and I was very silent. And then I looked across the table at one of my colleagues who was a, the head of a manufacturing site for us, a woman named Linda also. And uh, she said to me, so Randall, um, she kind of hesitated and I said, um, did you, um, have you moved to Munich? And she, I knew that she knew that I had. And so I said, yes. And then she said, oh, um, how about your family? Did they move? And I knew that she knew they had. And I just said, yes, they're, they're here with me in Munich. And then she paused. And then it was something I'll never forget. Her face, her eyes reddened, and she looked at me. 
as she said, I'm trying to ask you about Parker, but I don't know how to do that. Can you help me? And then it was like, I couldn't hear anyone else in the room. All I could hear was Linda. And we talked for over an hour and a half. She was a mother. She wanted to talk about her children. And it was the most beautiful exchange I had up to that point because she was willing to risk it, you know, to, to get me to open up. And, and I think that was a, a huge lesson for me about the opportunities that mourners have to help comforters as well. And it is a risk. Peacemaking is a risk. Coming close to somebody who is behaving in an unseemly way, like Randall and Melissa, who would weep through every sacrament hymn on the back row. We must have terrified people. Terrified people. But you know what? I'm always looking for people who were silent on the back row now, always. <laughs> but we were, we were, we were probably a frightful sight. And I think that um, for those who did attempt to approach us and get close, as we've talked about, who took that risk, whose interest in us was greater than their self-interest, whose interest in us was greater than their self-interest, those people were blessed, and we were blessed. And we ended up leaving, I have to add this, this is important. We, we ended up leaving that particular community with deep loving relationships with the people from there. So it's, again, a little laboratory that can help us see um, this thing that you point to, Rebecca, this essential role of community, that it is through relationships that we come to God. That's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could do it alone, but it's through relationships that we come to know God, that we practice godliness, that we experience God moving in between us, that we see God in other people. It's, it's in those relationships. Tough so lesson. There's a, there's a James Baldwin quote that's been kind of running through my mind during some of our discussion. Um, it's about kind of running toward the trouble rather than kind of standing back, like running toward the trouble that that makes us afraid um, and and kind of what, you know, you were just describing this kind of more both mourners and would be comforters kind of being willing to run toward the trouble, run toward the fear, um, run toward the pain um, and that that is what is healing and and builds like this beautiful community that um i i know. love that well at first i love james baldwin so he can do no wrong i loved it but i loved i love that statement and it makes me think immediately of when we lived in paris across the street from our little apartment was the fire station it's the premier secours secours so everyone here probably knows that secours is your your first aid right those are your emergency responders. And that's what the word sucker comes from. So the way that when we're called to sucker one another, it's not that we stand by or we, we send only a Hallmark card and then we're, we're never involved. It's the, I think the immediacy and the tempo with which we respond to conflict or to some conflict globally or conflict and pain in other people's lives sends a message of how we esteem those people and that issue. It's, it's to run 
towards it. I know not everybody is, it doesn't mean that we have to live impetuously. It's to say in a very deliberate way, I will not shrink, I will not shrink. Maybe, maybe I won't exactly run. Maybe the Bradfords are so scary that I'll inch towards them, but I will, but I will engage, I will engage. And there are tremendous spiritual rewards that come with that for everyone involved, for everyone involved. Well, I'll let Chris hold forth um, as long as, <laughs> as uh, you all want to. My computer's about to die and I've got to go teach that primary lesson, but thank you so much, Melissa. Love and primary, I'll, love primary. And yeah. I'll hope to see you at that um, BYU event in March too. BYU so. event, March 17th and 18th, yeah. Okay, bye, Rebecca. I think, I think Melissa, you just gave us a wonderful kind of closing um, community comment. I'm going to. So let's let's thank you, thank you so much. And uh, if you want to continue, that's fine. But I, I I think you just I think we should end on what you. I think we should. I think just that said. We, yeah, that was great. Good gong. <laughs> thank okay. you so very much thank you so very much for letting us share some of our and, and witness again witness witness of the savior's presence and and love and and the reality of his promises thank you and thank you for for being with us randall thank you for joining us thanks Molly, um i think we're down to just the four of us Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. We I'll stop the recording and, and can't close the meeting. Thank you. You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts.